our Christmas Eve service, you saw another very similar video. And basically what happened is me and Brett were trying to pick our favorite videos and who was going to get to present which video uh, during the service. And so this is the one I got is my favorite. And he used the one that he, um, that he used last night. And so we love uh, kids. We love the way kids share what they know of the scriptures. Um, and we love it in video form. It's pretty funny. And I see some of you kids took us up on our offer to wear your PJs. And so that's cool. Um, Brett wore his today as well. And so um, we're excited about that for him to just lead us in that way. Good shepherding, Brett. Um, but listen, uh, we are going to have uh, just a time of prayer, and we're also going to have a time in just God's Word, kind of an obscure Christmas message, to be honest. Um, more preaching to myself on this one. Um, and so if it pertains to you, great. If not, even better. Um, you don't want to be me. So um, we're going to pray and we're going to have this time together. And again, it's just really, really awesome uh, to just be here, to be with you uh, on this day. It doesn't happen very often. I think it's going to be 11 years before it happens again. Um, from what I heard, I don't know if my math is correct on that, but let's have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll have this time together. God, thank you so much for your grace, your provision, your kindness, your goodness to us. Man, where we, would, where, uh, where we would be without you, God. Um, we have nothing apart from you. And I pray, um, God, that each person in this room um, would just set aside all of, the, all of the typical things, the traditions, and, and, and just all of the stuff that, that we bring into Christmas that has a tendency to clutter. And I pray that we would just remove all that for a moment and just focus in um, on your provision, on your goodness, on your kindness to us, and the epitome of it all in the physical person of Jesus Christ, whom we believe in. So we're grateful to celebrate him and his arrival today. Would you use your word uh, um, to, to create motion in our hearts towards you even more? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my goal uh, for us today is to just have a really pleasant time um, because I realize that for many of you, um, and maybe for myself, um, Christmas isn't always so pleasant, right? Or to use the original line I wrote here in my sermon, Christmas can be a jerk sometimes. Um, and I'll explain that as we, as we go along, but just to tell you a story, uh, to lead into it, about a month ago, there was a, a nice warm night in November, and Kinsey and the kids were gone visiting my parents, so I thought, I'm going to do something I don't normally do and put up Christmas lights. I take that back. I normally put up Christmas lights. I just don't do it very good. Um, and I do it rushed and I do it angry. Um, this time I was going to try to do it with a different attitude, right? And so I went. It's still not that impressive, so don't drive by our house and look at it. It's, it's just white lights. Um, but as I was doing it, I just had this weird swell of excitement. And I was going to surprise Kenzie, but instead I ended up video messaging her and I said, hey, I'm putting lights up. And like, this is kind of crazy. Isn't it crazy that Jesus came? Like, isn't it just crazy? Like, why don't we do more? Why don't we go all out with the lights? Why don't we do, go all out with the presents this year? And she was like, yes, finally. <laughs> like 20 years of relationship and you finally received the Christmas miracle I've been praying for all this time. Like I had this infusion of, of Christmas spirit for about 24 hours. And then right after, it was right back into the swing of what Christmas season often is. Plans and gifts and budgets and commitments and then marital stress that comes alongside uh, other stressful situations, feelings of, of just obligation, feeling like you can't keep up. It's just the full Christmas drama that I have such a low tolerance for, and it seems to get me every time. And I don't know if you're the same way or not. I think part of the issue is that Christmas is just bipolar in nature, isn't it? I mean... 
Uh, it makes us feel cozy. It makes us feel nostalgic and warm. And at the same time, it can cause such chaos right into the heart of the things that we value most. Family time becomes family drama. Gift buying becomes credit card debt and unmet expectations. Your health is compromised by every sugary sweet around every corner. Attitudes become stressed and hurtful. All of the things that we love and, and we cherish and that we take our, uh, the most pride in, they become tested and tried in the fires of Christmas chaos. But to be honest, this is probably the first year that I've started to, well, I should say the Lord has started to turn something in me to see all of this Christmas chaos as not something to just get through, but as a gift in and of itself. It's one of the hidden gifts of the Christmas season. Because if you think about it, what else, what else in the world, outside of the word of God and maybe your spouse if you're married, can draw such direct attention to the control and security issues as the Christmas season? You have a whole season of just all of the chaos and the things that we get most bent out of shape about are probably the things that are the most out of proportion in our lives. And Christmas puts a magnifying glass on those exact things. Christmas reminds us every year that not only did Jesus come to save and to bring peace with God, it also reminds us that one of the greatest threats to that peace is our own out-of-proportion appetites for the things that give us a sense of control and security. Or another way to put it, these are the things that help us not feel the need for God. Because we don't want to feel in need, do we? And this has been human history. This has been ever since the beginning. Satan fell because he wanted to be like God. Adam and Eve, they fell because they wanted to be like God. And ever since then, hum humanity has had this desperate chasing of control and security and, and, and just that comfort, right? We, we do things that don't seem logical, right? We, we have people who are so desperate for influence. They want to control whatever is trendy and popular, and they'll go to very weird lengths to make it happen. Micromanagers love to control the details. Insecure people live for the approval of others in a way that, that helps them feel in control of whatever they're insecure of. Addicted people often begin their poison as a way to feel in control when everything is out of control. Our world is still ran by people who are dominated by control. Everyone's building their own empire, right? It's not Rome and Great Britain anymore. It's Amazon and it's Google. And it's very similar. It's just a little more corporate, right? It's, it's, everybody's still in this desperate chasing of, of control, of power. It's the human condition of sin and pride. The more we chase it, though, the more blind we become to the peace that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so this is what I truly love about Christmas. And if you know me very well, you know that there's not a lot, a lot that I do love about it. I love our Savior. I love our Savior. And I love, this is what I love about Christmas, that God saw this world stuck in this cycle of chasing its own pride. And so he gave up his own. And he came into this world in the most vulnerable of ways. It's the most dramatic thing that has ever happened in all of, of, of forever this raw, unfiltered humility that seeps out of every detail of his arrival. It's crazy. I mean, he came as a fetus, as a baby. He comes to a lowly woman. He comes born in a stable. 
The nativity image is him laying in a splintery feeding trough surrounded by shepherds and livestock and dirt. And pretty soon after, he's under the threat of death by the mad king. The story has no cushion. Despite what our Christmas songs often project, the story has no cushion. There's nothing soft about the circumstances surrounding the Messiah's birth. The sovereign God submits himself to the most neediest of positions of humanity. Every detail, deliberate and intentional. Because right at the beginning, right in the, the, nativity, the nativity image that we've over-sentimentalized, we are reminded that where he is, there is joy and there is peace, even if there is only splinters and dirt everywhere else. Jesus came into this world where everyone felt either out of control or had too much of it. And what Jesus taught is that at his birth, that the focus of the world, this control-craving thing, it's really irrelevant. This cycle of, of control-chasing, of, of living from broken security to broken security, from broken peace to broken peace. Finally, he has provided an escape route out of this, out of this perpetual cycle. And it's not influence. It's not finances, it's not family, it's not opportunity, it's not reputation, it's not possessions, it's not retirement accounts, it's not physical health, it's not abilities, it's not anything of us or of the world we live in. It is only in the eternal name of Jesus Christ. And in Psalm chapter 20, this is the realization that King David has. He's writing in the third person. And he writes this song slash prayer about this great hope for victory because of where his confidence is found. And so would you stand with me today in honor of the reading of God's word? This is going to be from Psalm chapter 20, verses 6 through 9, and I think it'll be on the screen for you as well. Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed, and he will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king, and may he answer us on the day that we call. You can have a seat. There's a few things about this passage that I want to point our attention to on this Christmas day, and the first is this. I want us to notice that David's confidence was not that God would just remove the war. It wasn't that God would just remove all of the problems, but that God would save him despite the battle he is in. Now, the Hebrew word here uh, that we translate in the CSB as, as victory is most commonly understood as salvation or, or deliverance. Right, So please take note, this is not the arrogant psalm of a warlord requesting the power to just live and rule in constant victory. This is a humble psalm of a king who is in the fight, who is in the tension and the pain and the animosity of battle, but is sure that God will deliver him, that God will preserve him, that God will save him one way or another. And the second thing I want us to see is that deliverance is found in God's right hand. He says in verse 6, with, with mighty victories from his right hand, or as uh, most other translations say, uh, with his saving power from his right hand. And there's a, a, a trend in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, almost 40 times there's a reference to the right hand of God. And this right hand, as the Psalms say, is the hand of power. 
It's the hand of strength. It's the hand of justice. It's the hand of eternal pleasures. It's the hand of solid footing. It's the hand of deliverance and salvation. Which is really interesting, right? Because if you know the New Testament, then you know that Jesus died and he was crucified and then he, he was buried and then he was resurrected and then he ascended to where? The right hand of the Father. In Mark chapter 16, verse 19, it says, So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And what is he doing there at the right hand of God? Well, in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it tells us, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised, and he also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So when you read the Psalms and you read about the power and the justice and the pleasures of God's right hand, you understand that these things come to us because Jesus is interceding for us. These things come to us through Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God. It's remarkable, right? Now the third thing I want to share with you from this passage is this. Around 35 times in the Old Testament, uh, uh, it is mentioned horses and chariots. It's, a, it's kind of a trend, and it's the picture, obviously, uh, the clear picture of military force, but it becomes this, this metaphor for, for security, for strength, for control. And as, as appealing and powerful and convincing as they are in appearance, they are not to be depended on. These are things that are not to be depended on. In Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and who depend on horses. They trust in the abundance of chariots and in the large number of horsemen. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel, and they do not seek the Lord. The same is true with our horses and chariots, isn't it? The things that we latch on to for dependability and security and control and power— Right? We depend on them, and what it does is it robs us of our focus towards the Lord, to, towards the Holy One of Israel. It's a dangerous thing to rely on horses and chariots when God has already provided himself for us. They do not stand like he does. They do not compare even a little bit, and with a breath, God can remove them like dust. Which is why in Micah uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 10, the Lord declares himself, I will remove your horses from you and wreck your chariots. This is... This is something that he does in his judgment and in his correction of his people. Every empire ends. Every worldly power collapses. Every personal security lets us down. There is one thing that will not. It will never fade, and it is the name of the Lord and his word. This is the only thing that will ever, ever, never fade. This is the only thing that will always be there. Everything else is not worth trusting in. And so the question today on Christmas Day, what is your confidence in? What is your greatest asset? What is the thing you take the most pride in? What is your most cherished security? And if you're like me, then it's very possible that God has used the Christmas season to just pinpoint that exact misplaced, out-of-proportion thing in your life. He has done it for me many years But for this year, for the first time, I'm starting to consider it a gift. No, it doesn't feel good. It's like paper cuts when you're opening an actual gift. But the reminder that it provides is priceless. All else is sure to collapse. It always does. But the name of the Lord never will. And so if you're here today and you had a wonderful Christmas season, and I really pray that you did, free from all the family drama, 
free from all the financial stress, free from the unbearably busy schedule. Wonderful. Praise God. That's awesome. I I really do pray that you just had so much joy this season. And I pray most of all that that joy were able to roll up to the glory of God, that it didn't just stay with you, but that it would extend and bring God glory and that he would receive your affection because of all of that. But if this wasn't your experience, or at least not all the way through, if it wasn't your experience, if any of your Christmas desires and expectations fell short, maybe even suffering with traces of guilt at this point over things that were said at family gatherings, over plans that fell through, over gifts that fell flat, over bank accounts that ran dry, over attitudes that that flared. I just want to give you a Christmas encouragement today. It's okay. It's okay. Your lasting hope was never in any of those things. And God has given you the gift of identifying that very thing that maybe you valued too much. And he's made you self-aware. And now that you're self-aware, you can handle it in the way that he would suggest that you would handle it. Confess, repent. If it's something that's sinful that's just out of place, give it to the Lord, confess it. Acknowledge it before him. And then move on. That's the comfort and the peace of the gospel, that you can give it to him and you can move on into a full year where there's going to be more seasons and not just Christmas seasons that do the same exact thing, but now you will be more tender and more receptive to when he does decide to work this way, when he does decide to reveal things that are out of proportion and then insert himself back into the picture in his rightful place. So it's a gift, refined by the Christmas chaos, but it is a gift, I think it's such an interesting thing that Christmas has become a way of revealing things about our lives that are, that are out of proportion. And I pray that we would together let even the Christmas chaos serve as a gift, a timely reminder that the peace of Christ is the only thing that is eternal. Horses and chariots, they are nothing. Whatever your horses and chariots are, they are nothing. They will always collapse. But in Christ, peace and joy are found even among splinters and dirt. And so we're going to end our time today in worship. And we're going to sing a song called Joy to the World. Ever heard of it? Right? We're going to sing Joy to the World. But what I want us to do is sing it as an actual worship song. Don't sing it just because it sounds nice. Don't sing it just because it's, it's a good thing to do on Christmas. Worship the Lord through this song because it is a worship song. And when we sing it together, I want us to sing, when we sing about every heart preparing room, that is your invitation to bring those false securities to him and remove the clutter. When we sing about the Savior reigning, I pray that we would actually join the fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains in the repeating song of joy. And when we sing about the growing nature of sin and sorrow, may we sing with confession and repentance in our hearts so that his blessings may flow freely against the curse of sin. And when we sing of how he rules the world with truth and grace, may we remember that his power over the entire world includes whatever's going on in your world right now. And we can know with confidence that he is in control, that he does not rule with an iron fist, but with truth and grace and righteousness and the wonders of his love. Let's pray together. Our God, I pray that you would just fill this room with the worship of your people that we would sing this song anew to you today. God, that you would fill our hearts with joy as we sing to the one who is the source of it all. 
God, we're grateful to join together, uh, to worship together, to, uh, um, um, to worship you um, as a unified body today, uh, to be together with our church family. And God, if for anybody in here who, uh, uh, who has had a hard season, God, I pray that today would be a turning point for them, that they would be able to release that to you, that would, they would be able to feel your joy, your peace, and your rest, and that they would sing a new song to you today um, with a song that we've all known for many years. But may it be a new song of our hearts today. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship together.